welcome to The Aggressive Life. You're in for a treat today. How <laughs> often do I say you're in for a treat? I say you're in for a treat a lot, and I bet there's times where I do it and you go, actually, I wasn't in for a treat at all. That one kind of sucked. I didn't, I didn't enjoy that at all. But I think I don't think that you'll do that with this one. I think that you're going to be exposed to some very new ideas, some very new things. For some of you, you're going to hear from somebody who you might have hyper judged before, but you may not judge him or people like him by the end of this podcast. About a year ago, after I had a failed first attempt to take down an elk in Colorado, I headed out to another state in the Western high country for attempt number two. And this time I wasn't alone. A video crew tagged along. They documented the whole thing for a YouTube miniseries called The High Country Hunt. And as a part of the hunting crew was a new friend. A new friend I had, his name was Rob. This dude, I call him affectionately Apex Predator. That's what he is. He is Apex Predator. When he's around, he's the thing that's the top of the food chain. He has an uncanny and impressive way of taking down wild game. Right after our expedition, I sat down with him for a conversation about all things hunting. There's there's something primal about seeing your meal alive and then taking its life to feed yourself. This is something that every human being in every corner of the globe has been aware of, the circle of life. Everything dies for us to have life, even if you're vegetarian. Things die to give you life. Farmer went over the field and every snake, every turtle, every bug, every maggot, every everything that was in that thing got sliced up and killed to create your food. It's just part of our thing. But we're so removed from how we got our food that we've I think we've lost something about ourselves, which is why I've really gotten into hunting. So whether you're a seasoned hunter or you've never picked up a weapon at all in your life, I think there's something in here for you. And I'll just say this. I was just listening to some of the segments of this, and I said, we got to record this, re-record this intro because, uh, one, this was not planned until that morning. So it's not the greatest audio file. You've got a fire crackling in the background. It's not a studio. There's some reverberation. The recording isn't that great. And then here's the other one. Here's the other one. Trigger warning, trigger warning. This is the one time where it's truly a trigger warning. I've never given a trigger warning before. I I, I think we're too soft to need trigger warnings, but I just want you to know we're going to talk about triggers and guns today. And I'm telling you about the trigger warning because for those of us who are uncomfortable with guns, uncomfortable with people who have guns, I'm not going to try to get you to change your opinion today. You may be completely right, but this is called the aggressive life. And I want you to be exposed to some thoughts that you may not have been exposed to. Rob is going to say some things that you may not have exposed to. He's going to say some things that I don't maybe personally agree with, but it's really good for us to be pushed. That's what the aggressive life is about. It's about pushing you. So you're going to get pushed today, I think, as well as have some fun. Uh, there's three episodes of the video mini series, The High Country Hunt. They're available right now on YouTube. You can search Brian Tome and join me as I go into the wild in hopes of bringing down an elk. But let's get on to the apex predator. Welcome 
to the aggressive life, Rob Wiley. Welcome to the aggressive life. This is Brian Tome coming with you. You know, today is going to be a little different. Of course, they're all different. That's why it's called the aggressive life. If it's not different, you don't do anything freaking aggressive. Well, I just did some things that were very different and ended up being very aggressive for me. I got a buddy who's out west who has um, a bunch of private land or access to a bunch of private land. And I got what's known as a depredation tag, a depredation tag for elk. Uh, You may know I, I went on an elk hunting trip Gosh, several months ago, wasn't successful, but didn't even necessarily intend on being successful because I knew it's kind of a hard deal going public land and you've never done it before and had a good time, but came up empty handed and come out here thought this is probably a pretty close to a, of a short thing as you can possibly get. And uh, my buddy said, well, I got this, I got this outfitter. He's going to come hang out with us. Is that all right? And I was like, oh man, I don't, I don't know that I want... <laughs> I, I don't know that I want an outfitter. I kind of, I'm a DIY guy. I like to figure out and do it myself. And I thought this was going to be as easy as a, of an elk hunt as I possibly could imagine. And, uh, but got to meet the guy who's with me today. His name is Rob Wiley. Rob Wiley Coyote. How are you, Rob? Welcome to the aggressive life. I'm great. Yeah, thanks. Awesome. Yeah, so Rob and I just have struck up a friendship. And every time I'm with him in his truck with his horses in the back, or every time we're talking on the trail, or any time we're having dinner, he, he starts ta- you start talking about things that are utterly fascinating to me, utterly outside of my realm of normal being. And um, I just thought we ought, to, we ought to get some of these kind of discussions on the record. So just, tell, who are you, Rob? What's your story? What do you do? Uh, so I'm an outfitter. I um, live in Wyoming. Um, we run a business, Non-Typical Outfitters. Uh, basically, our claim to fame is you know, chasing big, giant mule deer. We do it horseback, um, high country, 10,000-foot mountain peaks. Um, my wife and my daughters and I, we, yeah, we run that business together. So, so I got two things I want to do today, to, what I'm really intrigued with, is I've been looking for a hunting, a hunting podcast. This is that podcast. We may have others, but I've been looking for, for somebody to just break down hunting. Uh, for us, which you're going to do. So if you're like interested in hunting, you're curious about hunting, you're interested about guns, curious about guns, you're going to like this. And the second thing is to just talk about the value of learning new things. Sure. And that's basically what you did did for me. I, I, I went and did that elk hunt. I shot four white-tailed deer. I am a hyper newbie, newbie hunter. And, and that's actually what I like about it because with motorcycles, adventure motorcycles, we did a special on Amazon Prime and I've done a bunch of different things. I kind of have said many times, I, I wish I could go back to the early days when I was on the steep learning curve, when everything was new and everything was a first kind and, and there was all kinds of things you had to solve and problems where it's not like that for me as much anymore on a bike. And hunting has become that for me, where I'm on a hyper, hyper steep learning curve. And man, did you, you just dropped me into a PhD program the last couple of days. What, for the person out there who doesn't understand hunting, why, why, why should someone consider hunting? Hunting is something that, I mean, I think we've been talking about it. It, it connects to some of the things that we're created for. Um, men are created to be able to go out and provide for their family. So it's something that's, that's deep in our instinct. 
Uh, but when you get out there, you have permission to be dangerous. You're, you're going to learn skills that, you know, you're going to be able to shoot a gun. You're going to be able to, you know, brave the elements. You're going to go into rugged places. And while you're doing this, you're going to learn how to become a better man um, because you're building confidence. Um, but hunting is, I mean, I guess we got some time, but I mean, yeah. there's a lot to it. Um, you're going out, you're providing a food source for your family, um, you know, the camaraderie. I mean, there's just, there's so many aspects to it. A lot of folks who listen to this would just, they don't understand why someone would hunt. They have a hard time killing an animal. They don't understand conservation efforts. You told me stuff about the wolf that I was fascinated by. Let's just use that as a test scenario it explains hunting. Sure. Wolves were reintroduced into the American West. And in your opinion, it's been a horrible idea and is hurting us. Why? Tell us about that. Um, we've taken an apex predator that was evolved into um, the, the wildernesses in Canada and Alaska. And we've brought it down here. And it's like Mike Tyson going into kindergarten to find uh, an adversary. And there's such a... Because these are bigger wolves than Amer the American West had initially, you were saying. Right. So the, the original wolf was about 65 pounds. Um, and it was the, like kind of in between the, 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 the Canadian wolf and the coyote. Um, they had a totally different personality. Um, and these guys are like the Mike Tyson, um, you know, apex predator. And they come in and, and I mean, they're just wired to, to hunt and to kill. And they'll come into these game populations and, I mean, they're knocking out the, the calves. Um, they're knocking out the old, the young, the, you know, a lot of the, the myths are that they're, they're just killing the sick and the, and the weak. And that's not the case. I mean, they're killing the strong too. Um, and so what it's done is it's, it's taken our game populations out of balance. And anywhere that the, the wolf populations are, are strong and prevalent, like for example, in Yellowstone, um, back Which is always the example of, oh, it's great. It's worked out great for Yellowstone. Right. So I guided in Yellowstone, uh, or the, the outskirts of Yellowstone, Gardner, Montana. Uh, 1996, the elk population was around 25,000 elk. Uh, today, that number is down, um, sometimes hovering around 2,000. Oh, my gosh. Um, and that's the reintroduction of the apex predator. And it's not just the wolf. I mean, there's grizzly bears and everything. But what it's done is it's thrown everything out of balance. And so those numbers, you know, which we used to be able to hunt and I mean, lots of people, you know, would go in and, and hunt those herds. It's very limited now. Um, so it's, it's had a direct impact on, uh, on the hunters. But what's even worse is, you know, I had a, a guy that cooked for me who was a um, game biologist from, uh, from New Jersey. And he would hear me talk about the wolf and the amount of impact that it, you know, um, happened and he's like, man, Rob, I think you're kind of blowing this up. It's kind of a big story. You know, I don't think the wolf has necessarily impacted Yellowstone like you're saying. And then he went on a summer trip with his wife and drove around in Yellowstone for four days and could not find an elk. And he came back to me and we sat down and had a conversation. He's like, I, I have to admit something. I, I didn't believe you before. But when I was a kid, I went to Yellowstone and there were elk everywhere. And I just got back from a trip. I couldn't find one. They're, they're gone. And, and that's the tragedy. You know, the young generation, the, 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 the kids of today, they, they don't know 
you know, what, what it was like, you know, pre-1995, 96. And so that we've got young hunters, young, you know, people in the community that are growing up. And, yeah, they're missing a part of the West uh, because the wolf has come in and, and it has changed it at that level. You told me you were the first person to legally kill a wolf. Tell us about that story. Well, I was the first person to legally kill a wolf in southeastern Idaho. Okay. So that was one of the last places that wolves started to inhabit. Um, wolves are, I mean, they're amazing as far as the, the amount of uh, country that they'll cover. Um, uh, I got a GPS uh, map reading from a biologist friend of mine that tracked a wolf that came out of Yellowstone, went through five different states, and in about an eight-month period of time, it, it covered over 3,000 miles. Jeez. So that's the kind of, you know, apex pre- – I mean, they're, they're driven to just go and move. And these suckers are like 160, 170 pounds when they, when they got their meat on them. Right. So back to the, to the wolf I killed. This, this wolf had moved into the area. Um, I was actively trying to kill a wolf. I mean, I dreamed about uh, hunting and killing a wolf for 20 years. I had, you know, several opportunities where I had a gun in hand. There was a wolf in front of me and it was illegal. And I was like, you know, this is important to me to, to not break the law. I'm not going to kill this wolf, but when it's legal, watch out, I'm going to kill every wolf I can find. So I was (laughs) like actively after this wolf. Um, but yeah, Southeastern Idaho, um, killed the first wolf. Um, and yeah, it was awesome. I mean, it was literally the pinnacle of a predator hunter's life to be able to, you know, pick up this wolf that, um, it, it literally weighed, you know, 137, 138 pounds, uh, just a, you know, a giant animal. Yeah. The, the wiriness of those things too. It's not like a 138 pound Rottweiler. You put a Rottweiler in a, in a wolf in a ring, that wolf takes it down every day, correct? Every day. Yeah. Like literally the, the amount of stamina that they have. You know, if, if you were to go out and, and chase a wolf on a snowmobile, I mean, you could burn a half tank of gas trying to keep up with this wolf. That's the level of stamina that they have. Um, their intelligence, they know the difference of being hunted and not. Um, the same wolf can, you know, be out hanging around somebody's neighborhood, out by, you know, some of the houses that are out in the, in the backcountry um, one day. And then the next day you're in pursuit of them. They're able to interpret this is different. They're that 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 thing is hunting me and they act differently. I mean, they're, they're literally the most formidable, you know, animal to hunt in North America. So, um, you've ever, you've heard of Craig Boddington. I don't know if you've no. heard of him. Um, a lot of people in the hunting world, I mean, he's literally like in mag, you can't hardly open a hunting magazine, um, without, I told you I'm a newbie. I don't know any of this stuff. Yeah. So go ahead. Yeah. So he's the Michael Jordan of the hunting world. Um, he's an outdoor writer. I mean, done, you know, some amazing stuff. So we have a mutual friend, and he went to his house, asked him, you know, like his house is just loaded with trophies. I mean, he's, the guy's hunted more things than you can imagine. And, they, and this friend asked him, hey, what's your most prized possession? What's your most prized trophy uh, in this house? And he's like, there's no question. It's a wolf. He's like, I spent, you know, years of my life trying to hunt and kill a wolf. And this guy gets an opportunity to hunt more than anybody on the planet. And that was the pinnacle challenge for him. So that gives you an idea, you know, what a wolf is. Um, well, and they're not, when they're eating and they're taking down elk, they're not even eating all the meat, right? No. Um, so uh, we had a, a wolf pack in our uh, local area that I followed for uh, two weeks on snowmobiles, skis, hiking. 
Um, and in the two-week period, they, th- this wolf pack killed uh, 16 elk uh, and about four or five moose. And so we'd come upon the carcasses, and there were places where, you know, like the, the wolves would run two six-point bull elk down into the bottom of the canyon and would kill both of the bulls and eat a, a total between two bull elk, maybe 25 pounds of meat. Oh and then gosh. they'd move on. And, and the hard part about wolf hunting— 20, For those of us who don't know, th- those, each one of those bulls would have had, what, 300 pounds of edible meat on them? Yeah, like their, their full body weight is— you know, seven, 800 pounds. Um, and yeah, it just meat is, is, you know, 250 pounds. Um, and so, yeah, they're, they're, they're eating 10% and moving on and leaving the rest. And then they'll kill the next night. I mean, they're not just, they're not coming back like a mountain lion will kill a deer. Um, and then will actually stay and, and feed on that animal till it's gone. Um, and, and that, that deer will feed a mountain lion for a week. The wolf kills tonight and then they're 5, 10, 20 miles away the next night, and they're killing again. Um, so when I, when I would hear what you do as a sport, you know, you have these sportsmen's stores. I'm a sportsman. I would never understand that phrase because to me in my world, growing up in Pittsburgh, sportsman is somebody who throws a ball. Sportsman is someone who's, you know, there's a scoreboard. And I was like, wait, how is hunting or fishing a sportsman, but I've just been learning that it's because there are very strict rules in place that you have to play by. In fact, there, what does describe? What, what, why is it a sport? Why is hunting a sport? Well, I think everybody might define that differently. I mean, there's, there's some people that hunt, uh, you know, because they want a, a trophy, you know, so there's a goal, you know, just like an Olympic medalist, you know, for, for downhill skiing. I mean, there's a goal to get to and you get rewarded this trophy. So that's one aspect of it. Um, you know, what you're talking about, there's a whole bunch of different rules and regulations that you have to follow. Um, you know, the game managers set in place, you know, rules so that we can manage the herd properly. And, and it's one of the greatest renewable resources if we manage it properly. So that's where, you know, following those guidelines, the, the theory is that we're, we're gonna steward that, that game population well, and we're gonna pass it on to the next generation. So let's, let's, I keep ping-ponging back and forth between I want to talk hunting and I want to talk guns and I want to talk killing. Let's talk it all. Okay, okay, but then here's the other, and I also want to go like, I want to educate people because here's what a lot of people are, are, are saying right now. They're going, what in the, this is exactly what I hate about people like you, Brian Tome. This is, this is exactly why I'm a vegan. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to see animals killed. We don't need to be killing animals and anymore. It sounds like it's cruelty to animals. What is it that you need to take a life? We don't need to take a life in order to eat. This is just sort of a bloodthirsty thing that I don't see. I don't understand it. And I don't see any good that comes out of it. What would you say to that person? What I would say is if you eat meat, you're paying somebody else to do your killing. And there's something that it, the American farm, the ranch, um, 50, 60, you know, 60, 100 years ago, that was something that you were connected to every day. You, you would raise up, you know, a, a, a beef uh, to, to slaughter and then feed your family through the course of the winter. Some families, that's, that's the only meat they got was, you know, something that they raised on their own land. And so they were very familiar with what death looked like. 
Um, and if you go to the supermarket, you've basically hired somebody else to do that for you, which is okay. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but they're missing out on what's the real connection. When you go out into the mountains and you find, you know, this game animal on the side of the mountain, you're on his turf. You're not on yours, you're on his. And you have to have skills to be able to get close enough to be able to get on this animal and harvest this animal. And then once you harvest it, you know, harvest it, kill it, whatever you want to call that, you get to be connected to this animal. Um, you're going to take this animal, you're going to feed your family. So, you know, the processing of the meat and, and when you sit down at the table and, and maybe you, you know, you brought this to your, to your kids, your, your wife, um, and you're sitting down at the table and, and, you know, you're cutting, you know, a steak off of a roast and handing it to your child. You're literally taking a piece of that mountain and you're giving it to your, your, your child. It's, it's, or, it's the best organic, you know, cuisine on the planet. I mean, it's what God intended us, you know, the animals were there for us to be able to utilize. And, and, and it's, it's one of our most basic instincts. And, and so somebody that just goes to the grocery store, they're missing out on all of that connection. You know, a lot of people see hunters as when they look at a trophy up on the wall, they're, they're like, it's, oh, it's all about the ego. It's all about that. I have spent a lot of time chasing big, giant trophy animals. Right now, today, my most valuable hunts are when I take my daughters, 11 years old, 9 years old. It makes me emotional. That's real. That is hunting. Mm. That's sharing it as a family. I'm teaching them skills that they're going to be able to go into the mountains and they're going to be able to brave the, the, the weather. They're going to be able to brave the horses and they're going to you know, develop skills to be able to shoot and they're going to be able to you know, collect a, a trophy animal or a game animal, you know, maybe it's a cow and they're going to bring it home for their, for their family. I'm teaching them something that's way, way more valuable than just, you know, giving them something to eat. Yeah. But what if someone says, well, I don't, I don't need that because I'm a vegan. I eat plants and we should not be killing animals that are on this planet. I would answer that as God gave us dominion over the plants and the animals. And so, you know, I understand that choice, but I think if they were to be open about it, I've literally taken people that were anti-hunters and, and, and they had a curiosity to it. And they said, okay, I'm open. Please show me what this looks like. And we went through the rifle training and we went through, you know, the, the, the skills to be able to go up into the mountain. We got the gear and, and then we talked about the reasons why we hunt and then they got to participate in it. And now they're telling their family members, no, you, you don't understand. It's way bigger than, than just going out and killing something and putting it on the wall. It, 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 that's a very small part of it. It's the relationship, you know, I mean, you have to really love an animal to hunt it. You have to understand its habits. You have to be able to, to want to go and be intimate with this animal. I literally love them. When we take a big, you know, trophy or, or a cow or whatever, I love the details of the, the edges of their eyes and the way their lips are. And, and literally, I, I'm in an intimate relationship with this animal, uh, more so than if I just saw it on the hillside. So I, I would say to the, to, the, to, the, to the vegan person, the vegetarian, I mean, that's cool if you want to do that. But, but there's other parts that, of life that you're, you haven't unlocked. And it's no different than, right. you know, somebody that goes up into the mountains and, and sees beautiful scenery. You become connected to that. But it, 
Hunter finds another level of connection, another level of connection to the wilderness. I gotten into hunting. I think my, you asked me the other day why, why I, I was drawn to hunting. And I think for me, the base thing isn't like, oh, I have a new hobby here. It is, I want to be in sync with the history of mankind. Every man and probably woman, now I think about it, in every corner of the globe, in every time period, has had to take a life in order to keep their life going. And I just feel like I've lost something to not be in that sort of sync and rhythm. I, I know I'd be really remiss if we didn't talk about for you the, just this, this, this spiritual connection. This, this hunting thing isn't just a predator thing for you. You are the apex predator. I would not want you hunting me. I would always want to be on your side. That's for darn sure. Um, but God's been doing a different thing in you, and you've just you've had some things that have been coming alive in you that are beyond the normal. Just give us a little bit of your spiritual journey here that he's had you on. Man, where to start? I mean, that's a how much time do we got? <laughs> but let's time as you want. Yeah, uh, I mean, basically, I went to the mountains as a young man because that's the place I felt safe. Um. And in that, I, I developed skills. I, I found, you know, the ability to be a dangerous man. And, and, and I was always an athlete. I was always, you know, trying to, you know, push myself to a level above everybody else. And so I did that same thing in hunting. My mistake is hunting became my idol. It became bigger than God. Um, I literally... Would, if I was to be honest with you, I wasn't pushing so I could prove myself to people. I was pushing to prove myself to me. And it was, it was the lack of affirmation. Um, I hesitate. I don't know if this is the place to, to, to talk about this or not. But um, my father, his, his father killed himself when he was 12 years old. And so my father never learned how to be a father. So he couldn't pass that on. I didn't get a representation of the father's heart, the love of a father, because he didn't get a representation of that from his father. So we have a generational thing that's happening, and I'm finding my affirmation from being an apex predator. I'm going out and pushing myself harder than anybody else on the planet. Um, If there was a way to reward an apex predator in, in the mule deer hunting world, I pushed beyond the breaking limits to prove something to myself. And in that, um, I, I, I found that it was empty. At, at the peak of my game, um, literally, I had achieved financial, I'd achieved every goal that I'd ever set out, so far above what I thought I was after. I mean, I, I went above it another 10,000 feet. And in that moment, I was miserable because I, I didn't have a connection to the, to the Father, to the Father in heaven. And so I went through a... Uh, spiritual awakening, uh, a realignment where I, I literally said, God, I'm doing this wrong. I know it. I had a, an understanding and a belief of God, but I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. I didn't have that one-on-one connection and I knew it. And he was sitting back just like, Hey, you know, I'm proud of you, son, but you're doing it in your strength. And 
And so what I got to the place of is I turned all of that over to him and said, okay, Lord, I'm doing it wrong and I know that. So can we go back and rebuild this life? Um, what my belief system is with a foundational anchor of you. And, and yeah, it was a process. And so that took place in 2015. And I've been on a process, you know, since then that, you know, basically this process is a, I had a visual picture of a house and I'm going through each room of that house and each room, you know, represents, you know, marriage, fatherhood to my children, you know, health, business, spirituality, and, and the Lord and I have been going through that house and doing a renovation. Um, and now I get to love what I do. I've got these skills, but I've surrendered them. I've bridled those. I've, I've, I've given those over to the Lord to use for kingdom purposes. And now I want to, I mean, that's why I'm here is, is, is I want to go and use my hunting skills, not for ego or not to prove something to myself. How do we do this to glorify our father? How do we, how do we create maybe a, a, a way that a young man that, that that's drawn to sports and he's trying to find out who he is, who's looking for that affirmation from the father. How do we commun- communicate to him that what you're looking for, you can't find in this, this, this call it rodeo, call it Olympic athlete. I mean, call it whatever. I mean, there's hunters that push themselves at levels that, I mean, some of the most famous hunters in the world run a marathon you know, every day and they're running, they're running to something. And that's, I was doing the same thing and, and I'm asking, you know, internally, you know, what are we running to? We're running for that affirmation with the father. So how do we take that and connect it and hook it up to, you know, being able to, to, to be fully alive to where you can live a life that you're, you're not, you're not, trying to prove anything to yourself. You're not trying to hide anything and you're fully surrendered to the Lord. And, 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 and that's the spiritual journey that I've been on. Mm. It seems like macho guys like you wouldn't need God. No, we need God, but we all need God, but we probably need God more. Mm. Why? It, but it's hard for, for a macho apex predator guy to think he needs to surrender. Um, mm. But one of the things that stands out to me is some of the mighty men of David, uh, you know, David facing Goliath. Those guys weren't wimps. I mean, these were some of the most formidable men, you know, that the world has ever known. I mean, there's a story in the Bible where a guy takes a sword and kills a thousand Philistines. And at the end of the battle, he had fought so hard that he literally had to cut the sword from his hand because he became one with his weapon. I mean, I think that's the kind of man of God that is bridled. He, he wasn't doing that for himself. David didn't go fight Goliath because he thought, you know, Goliath was an asshole and he needed to go kill him. He was challenging his God. He felt deep inside of him that I'm, I'm going out there to fight for my God. Mm. And this, this giant is defying my God. And, and, and I'm turning that power over. I mean, I've, I've felt that similar kind of power of, you know, when I'm going hunting, I get, I get, you know, adrenaline. I get, you know, this, this power that engages what I'm after, but now turning that over to God. I mean, that, that man's truly dangerous. I find you incredibly invigorating because it seems like in, you know, American Christianity, 
the thing that's rewarded is passivity. That's what's rewarded. Not doing anything stupid. Oh, you're a good Christian. Uh, not, not taking a risk. Oh, you're a good. Just, just being nice. That's kind of what, what is seen as, oh, that person's spiritually mature. No, they're just nice. <laughs> that's not being, they're, they're, they're just nice. And that's not what we see in the scriptures, right? We see all those people who were heroes were heroes because they were aggressive. And a lot of them were killing things too. You know, it was a big deal. And I, and I, I just, may, may, I don't know, I don't know, Rob, maybe that's why there's just very few men that go to church anymore. Maybe it's why it's become a, a religion only for women is because we've, we've just made it to be something that's not attractive to many, many men out there. And when I interact with you, I'm like, wow. Yeah, and they're alone and they're drinking and they're looking at porn and they're doing all these things because they're not whole. All right. They're broken. Because they don't have that connection. And they don't have that connection to other men. I mean, you put men, aggressive apex predators together, what are they, what are they thirsting for above everything else? They're, I mean, we talked about this in the truck. They're thirsting for connection. And, and you go out on the battlefield, why do you think the soldiers come back and say, I've never been able to find connection like I found on the battlefield? It's because in that that masculine place, men are created to bond in that. They're vulnerable. They talk yeah. about, dude, I just got a letter from my wife and this sucks. Mm. She's leaving me. Dude, I got your back. But I, only, I also got your back when the bullets start flying. That's a connection that we're wired for. That's the mighty men of David. That's where what's missing in our men today is being able to come together and say, dude, that sucks, but I got your back. Mm. And, and also being able to talk to him like, hey, dude, I think you're missing something in your life. I think there's something that you're not noticing. And I'm going to iron sharpens iron. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to, in love, I'm going to be able to walk up to you and say, I love you. And because I love you, I think you're looking at porn again. Mm. And I want to I strengthen you. I want to be with you in this battle. I, I, I want to I be when the machine gun fire comes towards us. I'm not going to run. I got your back. Mm. One of the things that Rob's been doing that I... I just think it's really, really sweet is you've had a lot of special forces folks come through your training and they've taught you the, some of the finer points of shooting mm -hmm. and you've taught them the finer points of hunting. Well, hunting and, and mainly what they, they hired me for was to teach pack animal and horsemanship skills. And so I also got to sit in while they were teaching the shooting skills. And so I was able to learn from them and teach at the same time. It was, it was awesome. Yep. Do you see any, are there any commonalities with those kind of guys spiritually? Because you want to talk about apex predators, at least in terms of human on human, the special forces of America would be the apex predator. Is there any like general profile of those folks spiritually or is it's just like anybody else? There's some are this way and others that are that way, just like you would in the architectural field or anything else. Sure. Uh, I think, those guys, I didn't meet hardly any of them that didn't believe in God. I, I, I've, you know, been super impressed with, you know, uh, how many of them, they love, they love puppies. They love, you know, kittens. They love little kids. They love apple pie. I mean, and they're the same guys that are literally the most dangerous men in this world. But I think one of the things they struggle with because they're so dangerous is what does it look like for me to not surrender to the mission, but to surrender to God. And, and so I think there's, there's maybe a battle, you know, in some of those guys, but I've, I've seen that, you know, play out too. 
there's a guy, Dave Eubank, um, who is a former special forces operator um, who has a, a mission um, over in Burma. And I think Dave Eubank models, you know, what a, a soldier of God looks like. I mean, he's gone into Syria. He's looked ISIS in the eyes, but he's done it with love. He's walked up and, and looked those guys in the eyes and said, can I pray for you? Can I, can I show you the truth? And, and, and some, he's had some converts and some of those guys have been trying to kill him and, and he's had to protect himself. Um, but he was also protecting the innocent. He was protecting the widows, the orphans, all the people that were being displaced by ISIS. I think that's what, you know, that apex predator surrendered to the Lord, doing it for love. That's what that looks like. And, and, and you can be a soldier, you can be a badass. But if you're bridled and surrendered to the Lord, the Lord's got a lot of work for guys like that. Mm. And, and, and that's a life fully alive. Rob, Wiley, Coyote, are you ready for the lightning round? Let's go. All right, here's the lightning round. I'm going to give you a topic, and you have to answer it as quickly as possible. Normally, I, I want to hold people to one or two sentences. I know you're not going to do one or two sentences. <laughs> I probably don't want you either, but I'm going to give you rapid-fire stuff and give us what you got. Ready? Sure. I don't own a gun, and I'm going to buy a gun. Which one should I buy? AR-15. Oh, come on. Come on, stop right there. Whoa, whoa. Someone does not, someone does not have a gun and you want them to start with a assault weapon. Do we want to have this conversation? Yes, yeah, this is called the aggressive life. I, I, I do, seriously, I do want to expose everyone here to different alternative points of view. I, I, I'm surprised you would say that, but I, no, I, we all want to be pushed here even, if we're, even though if we don't like it. So yeah, why would you say that? I think an AR-15, number one, if we take the scary name of uh, assault weapon off of it and we just talk about the weapon platform, it's what I train my girls to shoot first. The first gun that they're shooting is an AR in a 22 long rifle. And I've got a video that I can show you of my 10-year-old girl knocking down targets like ping, 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 ping. It's, it's friendly. It's a great training rifle. It's, it's literally one of the easiest guns to pick up with a little bit of guidance to be very proficient with. That, that's why it's so popular. I mean, it is, it is a fantastic gun. I've taken first time people that have never fired a gun in their entire life and handed them an AR-15 and they're like, oh, it's all scary. I'm like, stop, it's a gun, it's a tool. Let me just show you what this tool can do. And they were like, this is one of the funnest things I've ever done in my entire life is shoot this AR-15. I had a, one of my wife's friends from, from uh, from uh, high school, married a, a Japanese lady. And she came to America, and after she left, like, she put on Facebook, the funnest thing I got to do in my entire life was go shoot AR-15s in Wyoming. It was awesome. <laughs> That's why I say AR-15. All right, well. That wasn't two sentences either. No, 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 it was, no, it was, it was brilliant. Okay. Um, taxing your guns. Uh, taxing our guns. So there's a bill right now uh, that is being proposed in Washington that literally is proposing that we tax guns, um, that we make some guns illegal. Um, and to own those guns, you're basically going to have to um, you're going to have to register them. Um, and it's a dangerous bill. It's a dangerous proposal. Um, 
I would be charged thousands and thousands of dollars um, every year um, in the bill that's proposed. Um, I have to apply for the, the license um, to carry those guns, and that's where the tax is attached to. And if for any reason that I can't comply to their rules, they can come and take all of my guns. This, this line in the sand is dangerous, and it's, it's really dangerous. Um, so I, I, I think, I don't know what the, I would like to know the reasoning behind why they're proposing it, because um, people aren't going to follow it. Yeah, uh, it's really interesting for me to, uh, it's a lightning round, and I'm not allowed to ask follow-up questions, but I am. It, it's, it's interesting in hearing you talk about that, um, I thought for sure you'd bring up Second Amendment constitutional right, which I'm sure you... You, you only gave me two sentences. Okay, all right, all right. I can talk for another but week. Some, but, some, but something deeper than that, though. It's, it's something deeper than what the Constitution says. It's something deeper for you and, and folks who are in your circle just about, actually, this, this sounds weird, the need for guns. Our country was founded upon the right for somebody to defend themselves that a, a, a life has value and it can't be taken. It, it, you know, as far as like the government can't come in and, and start telling, you know, they can't decide whose life is valuable and whose life is not. It's our first and second amendment right. It, it is literally the foundation, the cornerstone of our country is the right that I can say something that maybe you don't like but you can't control me. That's the right of free speech. I have to honor you and you have to honor me. And, and that's not happening in our country today. The second amendment is the right to be able to protect yourself, be able to protect your, your loved ones and, and, and your country and your values. And so if, if, a, if a government bill is going to say, we're gonna take your second amendment away, there's millions upon millions upon millions of people in this country that aren't going to do it. They're just simply not going to do it. People have been paranoid about that happening for years and years and years and years and years. You actually think it could happen at this point? I mean, what's different? But there's always this. People are always scared and freaked out whenever, a, whenever a, uh, someone who leans to the left comes into the Oval Office. Well, how is this different than any other time? And that's not a rhetorical question. I'm going like, that's, that's how, I, how I see it. So how many changes have you noticed in the last year that if I would have told you what COVID would have looked like? Mm. I mean, look at, your, look at your church. Would you have believed me if I told you a year ago no. that, that there's going to be a day, one year from today, that you're not going to be able to assemble in the United States of America and worship? Would you have believed me? Mm. No. So... That's what I've seen as far as massive amounts of change. If I'm going to start hunting, I should. Sorry, I was like in another. I know, that's right. That's, that's lightning round. You go, you go all over the place. That's part of the lightning round. The, the first step. Would you never be, know where it's going to strike. Yeah. Lightning just strikes. The, the first step. Um, Look at your local community and look at where you can go hunt. Um, see, you know, game rules. Start, uh, you know, educating yourself on, on game rig. Look at your local church or, or a guy you work with. Look at a hunter, an older gentleman that could, that could mentor you and walk up to them and say, hey, dude, I, I'd really like to learn hunting. Can I learn from you? 
build connection with somebody that's already done it. That's what I would recommend. The best hunting ammunition. There's a lot of it. There's really, I mean, so there's no such thing as a best. No, there's so many awesome. I mean, we are so blessed with gear, guns, optics, ammunition. I mean, literally, we're living the life of kings. <laughs> I was, I was fascinated when we, we, we went out. I, I, I was, in, I was actually in shame of myself with you and Colton, who, who guides with you, who are out in the hunt. I was in shame that I looked the coolest. I, I just look cool. That's what I was ashamed of. Because I'm buying all this cool camo stuff, and you guys are out there like in Carhartts. Carhartts? Yeah. I wasn't wearing Carhartts. Well, it wasn't like this. Uh, you would have looked at you and said, oh, there's some high-end camo there from, from Kuyu or from, uh, I don't know, whatever. All there, there's a, it was just like you were warm and you had earth tones on. You, it, it made me realize, oh, I guess I could hunt and really not spend a lot of money if I wanted to. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you can. I mean, if, like when we were raised, young kids, I mean, 501 jeans, flannel shirt, Levi jacket, that was, that was the dress code for the hunter, the mule deer hunter of Idaho and Wyoming uh, back in the 80s and the 70s when I started hunting. Just good old-fashioned cotton denim. Correct. Wow. Yeah, it's come a long way since Yeah, it has. It's good. Rob, this has been great. Is there, is there anything you want to talk about that we haven't talked about? I mean, Come on, there is. I see it in your eyes. What do you want to talk about, Rob? Come on, this is your podcast. All right. So, so what are men looking for? I, I mean, that's that's the thing that I, I have this conversation with God all the time. What what are men looking for? What are the men that you know? What are they looking for? What 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 can they come and find in the mountains? Um, what can they find? You know, what's missing? What what's that, that that component? How can we help other men? You know, to find that you know connection. That, that you talk about. What's you're asking me? Yeah, I'm asking you. Well, I think lightning it, round, lightning round, lightning round. Uh, I think it's well. You just mentioned the word. I think it's connection. I think that's the. I think that that's the major outage in most men's life. This isn't a male podcast per se, but in talking about men, it's. Um, I think it's connection. I think that um, that's why we're more prone to addiction than anything else. We're all, we're we're four times more likely to die of suicide to women. We're three times more likely to have a mental illness. We're two times as likely to ha- die of an alcohol-related incidence. And I think the thread and through line throughout, throughout all that is, is loneliness, is lack of connection. Um, I think it go either way. You can be a hermit and be wanting to be away from everybody and getting your hunt fix on and actually disconnecting. Or for others, it can actually be connection. You know, you're... You are getting in touch with God. You're getting in touch with guys who you're hunting with. Um, I, think that's the, I think that's the plague of our time. It's, it's, it's that lack of connection. Yeah, and I would say to, you know, as far as like in the hunting, you know, stream, um, the guys that maybe have never hunted and were intimidated by it, um, I, I think there's some guys that are like, man, I'm, I'm not an apex guy. I'm not a, you know, I don't have these skills. I would say you'd be surprised at how quick you'll feel at home and, and, you know, guys will warm up to, you know, teaching you skills and, and all that. So, I, you know, I would encourage those guys to step out of their comfort zone because, um, you know, that's where we learn the best is when we're, we're brave enough. That's one of the things I respect about you, you know, being able to, to, you know, master the motorcycle, backcountry stuff, camping all over and say, 
I want to, I want to challenge myself again. And then picking something, you know, later in life and going after it again. I mean, dude, that's brave and that's honorable and respectable. I respect what you're doing. And and that's why I'm here. Literally when I heard about you, you know, wanting to come out here and kill your first animal, your first elk, um, you know, like normally what what I was talking about earlier is, is, you know, for me, this is, this is pure. This is real. This is why I hunt. It isn't for money. It isn't for accolades of, 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 you know, ego or anything like that. Dude, I want to partner with you to help you, you know, take your goals to the next level. And I get to see things through your eyes for the first time again, mm-hmm. to hear you talk about all the little details of the hunt that, you know, I, I've spent thousands of days out doing this. And I got to see it from the first time again through you. And that's awesome. Yeah, well, I, I, I can't thank you enough. The last, last few days has been just some of the most invigorating and challenging and educational and meaningful days of my life. And I have you and a couple others in the room here to thank for that. So it's awesome. Thank you, man. Hey, someone wants to follow up with you or I mean, you got you got hunting schools or shooting schools. I think I'm going to go to you got a Man, we skimmed the surface. If someone wants to follow up with you and know what's going on, how can they do that? Uh, www.nontypicaloutfitters.com. That's our website. Uh, we got a badass website that's just about finished, and we're going to be launching it um, here pretty quick. And maybe by the time this, this podcast is aired, it's, it, we're going to have our new website. Um, and, yeah, it talks about the shooting schools. I mean, basically, it would be a, a potential that we could, you know, we've, we've got one that we're doing with uh, – uh, Todd Pierce and Colton Pierce. We're going to teach the hunting skills and we're going to teach the living fully alive skills, the spiritual skills. And we're going to try to combine those uh, on one experience. And, you know, we'll be able to take these guys, you know, through all of it. And so, yeah, if guys are interested in it, we'd, we'd love to share that. Um, we have some hunts, um, you know, bear, we have mule deer, elk, antelope. Um, and yeah, we just would we'd love to share it with, with people, anybody that would be interested in it. Well, I feel like we just scratched the surface on the hunting thing. We're going to have to do it again. So I'll have you back again in the aggressive life. That's it, boys and girls. There you hear it from an apex predator, Todd Wiley. Thanks for being here on the aggressive life. Rob Wiley. Rob Wiley. Rob Wiley. Rob, Rob, Rob. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, thanks for listening. For all things aggressive living, why don't you head over to bryantome.com find my new book, Move, a guide to get up and go forward, as well as articles and much, much more. And no matter where you listen to podcasts, why don't you take a second and leave us a rating, leave us a review. It really, really helps us drive new listeners to the show. We want to help as many people as possible, just like we may have helped you. We want to help others. So why don't you help us out? And if you want to connect, find me on Instagram at Brian Tome. Aggressive Life with Brian Tomes, a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.